You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. All right. Uh, so, Tennessee case of Dillahay uh, versus Gibbs. Uh, we got into this just a bit last week. Uh, not very much. Uh, we started talking about uh, all kinds of related issues. I, I guess with this case, what we're looking at, we're looking at three uh, primary issues. Uh, I'm to the surveyors now and to landowners, uh, obviously. Um, I mean, how do you know, as a landowner, how do you know who to who to hire uh, as, a, as a surveyor? And that's exactly what we're going to see in this case is... Um, um, uh, yeah. In this case, we have uh, um, the uh, uh, two surveyors, and Gibbs hires one surveyor, and the outcome of the case is totally dependent upon, it ends up being totally dependent upon the testimony given by the surveyors uh, in the case. So, uh, oh, discuss that uh, as we get to it. How do you, as a landowner, decide? Um, decide who to hire as a surveyor? There are some questions that you should be asking them. This is like hiring any other professional. How do you know? How, how do you know what doctor? How do you know what um, what attorney uh, to hire? Um, these are all uh, very good questions. That is, I guess for the most part, when it comes to your doctor, your lawyer, and uh, many other professionals, it's um, it's word of mouth type of thing. Um, somebody recommend somebody or you know somebody who can recommend somebody oh, basically what you go for. Unfortunately, with land surveyors, as we discussed, um, you can have a surveyor who everything is A lot of people think this is a great surveyor, but in reality doesn't uh, do anything for you when, uh, you know, when the rubber meets the road. But three issues we're going to look at, uh, what we're, we're focusing in on as we go through this case, um, from a land surveyor's perspective, how do you know when you've got it right? How do you know when you've come up with the correct decision? We touched on that a little bit last week. Um, uh, There isn't a mathematical check. Now, traditionally, uh, surveyors thought that there was a mathematical check. Uh, It was called a closure ratio. As long as I have a good closure, uh, then my survey must be correct. Well, that's, that's not true because you can have a great closure on the wrong piece of property. When it comes that's to weird, I didn't uh, do anything the surveying results, uh, we need to be, you know, the surveyor needs to be correct, or at least by a preponderance of the evidence, uh, correct in, um, in the determination of where the property lines are located on the ground. So how do you know when you've got, when you, when you got it right? How do you know you have the correct results? There is no mathematical formula, there is no measurement ratio, there's no precision ratio, no closure can tell you as a land surveyor if you've got the correct uh, results of the survey. But there is a litmus test. We discussed that last week. The litmus test consists of three or four parts. The first part is understanding what the standard of care is relative to uh, the practice of surveying. And the standard of care in the United States of America is pretty universal when it comes to professional uh, activity, professional services. It applies to doctors, lawyers. I mean, generally speaking, there could be some exceptions there, but it basically applies to doctors, lawyers, engineers, architects, professional service providers, 
uh, the standard of care is what the reasonably prudent practitioner would do in like or similar circumstances. Um, so, um, how do you know what the reasonably prudent practitioner would do? And that is um, that is where experience and judgment come into play. And if we're trying to prove uh, whether or not a, a practitioner is um, was operating above or below the standard of care, in let's say a uh, witness case, or let's say a uh, uh, in a uh, negligence case against a professional practitioner, we would bring in other experts to testify as to whether the activity the services provided, the activity that the surveyor went through, in this case we're talking about a surveyor, that the surveyor went through to come up with a determination of the boundary, whether that um, was in keeping with what other reasonably prudent practitioners would do in like or similar circumstances. That's the universal standard here. What other reasonably prudent practitioners would do in like or similar circumstances. That doesn't mean what you would do or what someone else would do. Um, the standard of care has to be articulated in terms of what the community would do, what all other reasonably prudent practitioners do in like or similar circumstances. So there is a litmus test. That there is not a mathematical formula, but there is a litmus test. And uh, so, so the criterion uh, for the retracement surveyor is best available evidence. So we put these together, uh, what the reasonably prudent practitioner would do, uh, gathering and evaluating the best available evidence that reasonably prudent practitioner would gather and evaluate in the course of performing the survey, and then weighing and evaluating and weighing that evidence, and then ultimately rendering a well-reasoned opinion. Um, the only question the surveyor has. I think it's that's sounds okay. Okay now. As we've discussed before, any boundary determination is a two-part question. The first part of the question is, what is the property? That's one change question. What is The second part of the question is, given what is, where is it located? And the title documents, generally speaking, answer the legal question, what is the property? In this case, it's uh, it's the um, meets and bounds description of Gibbs versus the meets and bounds description of Dillahay. But as we're going to see, there are significant problems with these legal descriptions. Uh, but the biggest problem is uh, none of the surveyors none of the surveyors in the case using both legal descriptions. None of the surveyors in the case were were able to definitely come up with. The, let's put it this way, to come up with a definitive boundary between Dillahay and Gibbs, okay? And they're, they're what they call, they call them boundary descriptions or bounds descriptions. There are no meets. Meets generally meaning measurement, angles, distances. And bounds generally meaning limita limitation calls put in the legal description. So these deeds are like so many other deeds, um, especially from this part of the country. This, this is a Tennessee case. <clears throat> and in those, uh, up in those hills in Tennessee, um, a lot of times they would write legal descriptions and convey property without any surveying activity at all. You know, uh, go across, you know, across the ridge, uh, you know, along the line of Dillahay and 
until you get to the line of Gregory. Then it's along the line of Gregory until you get to the corner with Wells. And then southerly along the south boundary of Wells until you get to the corner with Smith. And then, you know, they're, they're, they're bounds descriptions. And so there are no beats to go along with that, which tells you a lot about the descriptions back in those days. People just recognized where uh, the landowners just, they had a recognition. They had a recognition as to where the boundary lines were because they weren't very precise. I believe the descriptions were very precise. And, and uh, <clears throat> probably the location of the boundaries uh, wasn't, uh, you know, nailed down within a few feet, maybe even a few a few poles, maybe even a few chains. Uh, because the land back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, wasn't wasn't all that expensive, and a few rods, one way or the other, didn't didn't uh, make uh, much of uh, much of a difference. Some of the land wasn't even usable. Has to be the land that that's in question, or the land that's in conflict here is between these two properties is something in the neighborhood of 30 acres plus or minus and very very rough terrain hadn't been used by either side for decades and so that's the reason why the boundary is somewhat uh, somewhat nebulous and uh, so again the, uh, the the deeds don't provide too much help so what is when the deed doesn't let's put it this way what's the best available evidence um, when it comes to boundary determination, what is the best available evidence? Well, the best available evidence is going to be the deed, the deed of conveyance, and maybe other deeds in the chain, the written documentation as to what the landowner owns, or what was purchased, what the grantor granted, and the grantee uh, took delivery of. And uh, if they're in place, original monuments, the original monuments set by the original subdividing surveyor, that is the best available evidence of, the lo- of where property lines are located on the ground. You, you got your deed, and a deed is only a guide to get you there, and then there are um, then there's other evidence. Uh, such as the original monument or monumentation that was placed on the ground um, in conjunction with the conveyance or uh, shortly thereafter uh, as a part of the conveyance. So that's the best available evidence. What happens when that evidence comes up missing? Or what happens when that evidence is, um, is not able to be interpreted years later when the Dillahays are gone, the Gregory's are gone, the Wells are gone, the Smiths are gone, the Clarks are gone. Uh, all of these adjoining neighbors who at one point in time knew where the boundary lines were, and you've got a purely bounds description um, with maybe a few landmarks called out. Uh, you know, so where do you go from there? Well, you got to go to the next best available evidence, and that could include um, uh, any number of things. Like, especially in a case like this, it, it might include where do they build their fences? Where did, where was the, what is the best available evidence as to the mindset of the landowners back in the early 1900s, uh, maybe late 1800s, early 1900s when these, these bounds, deeds were written? Where, what is the best available evidence? There were, in most, 
most of the, the situations we're talking about here with these particular deeds, there were no monuments set. Actually, there might have been a call be for a tree here or a stone there or the creek there, but by and large, no monuments were set. It's still on may have been written uh, by someone uh, walking through the woods, maybe with a compass, maybe, maybe pacing. And, uh, Sam, volume was uh, up real high. Perhaps the boundary uh, was defined or well understood uh, back when the, the deed And also the control room Those was up people are gone, high. so the next available, so available, uh, best available evidence would have been right. landowners who knew where the lines were at the time of the Everything conveyance. seems good now if you want to. And, uh, if we don't have ads. that, then we got to go to the next level yeah, of just, evidence. It's hard to figure out it's how it be. It's not going to be built on the line because we're talking about acres properties here. We got a gift zone, something in the neighborhood of 150 acres. Dillahay, um, something in the neighborhood of. Now, with all my tweaking, I may have. 130 acres. I may have messed up earlier. Nobody built anything along the line. Um, There's possibly fences. We'll turn off the axis. Not too much. Uh, as possibly our then our next available there. evidence. I was hearing them pretty good. He's, All right, so uh, let's talk about, about right. So they had a the they had a trial. The the, the, the Hayes bought this property, their property, their 120 acres or so. Um, yeah, no, not so much. And, I didn't do anything. No, I know. And uh, let's see, did they buy their property? They bought their property. Uh, 2007, 2008, somewhere around there. It was an old family property. They didn't know, the Dillahays didn't know where the property line was located. Now the Gibbs, uh, Ms. Gibbs, Elmer Gibbs, uh, lived, was born in 1943 and lived on the, this was the old family uh, property, the old family, the Gibbs family property, are actually Cersei. Uh, her brother's name is named Cersei. Yes, I know. Wife, Cersei. So this was the old Cersei uh, homestead. Uh, she had lived on it with her with her siblings. Uh, she, I think she has a sister, three or four brothers. They lived on it in their uh, run the show. Uh, early she ages, and then the wedding came back. I think it's okay. Uh, she purchased her farm in nineteen ninety three. So she's been on there on the property ever since, and has uh, has a somewhat of an idea of where the boundary line was. But she remembers from her childhood days and her siblings remember as well. So uh, um, ultimately Dillahay, the Dillahays came in and purchased their property and then had some discussions with, uh, with Gibbs, Elmer Gibbs over the location of the boundary. Uh, things were somewhat amicable to begin with. They, they actually went down into the, into the hollow and uh, started uh, looking around uh, uh, for uh, landmarks where the boundary line might be, but they ultimately never could agree uh, as to the location of the boundary. So the Dillahays hired themselves two surveyors, and uh, Gibbs hired herself a surveyor, and the surveyor did their did their work, and so then we had a bench trial, three day bench trial. June 8th, 9th, and 10th of 2010. Both parties introduced the deeds and their respective change of title and the testimony of expert land surveyors. The testimony of persons familiar with the property and their own testimony. The disputed line 
Weissman on the western side of Mrs. Gibbons' farm and on the eastern side of Mrs. Delahaye's farm and encompasses about 30 acres. Ms. Gibbs purchased her property in 1993 and was conveyed, according to her deed, to 159 acres. The tax records submitted into evidence showed that from at least 2003 to 2005, Mrs. Gibbs was assessed taxes on 127 acres. However, in 2006, the year that Mrs. Dillahaye, they bought in 2006, purchased her farm, Mrs. Gibbs was assessed taxes on 182.4 acres. Well, why look the wide variance? Wide, 159 acres, 127 acres, and now 182.4 acres. Well, uh, this just goes to show this is um, just uh, additional evidence that the legal description, the location of these properties on the ground, um, leaves uh, leaves a lot to be desired. The Gibbs introduced uh, the deeds in their chain of title dating back to the 1920s. When she purchased the property, Mrs. Gibbs was returning to the old home place as her family had previously owned the farm uh, from 1941 to 1954. Ms. Gibbs was born in 1943, lived and worked for the family on the farm until they moved away when she was 11 years old. Dillahaye purchased her farm in 2005 from a cousin of her husband, Stanley Dillahaye. She described the seller as an absentee landowner. Uh, her deed uh, conveyed two tracts, one containing 65 acres and one containing 69 acres. Dillahaye testified that she and Mr. Dillahaye rode four-wheel drive, four-wheelers on the farm uh, while they were dating back in the 1970s uh, or early 80s. But other than that, she really had no idea where the property lines uh, were located. Prior to closing, she had had some discussions with Mrs. Dillahaye about the property line, but uh, ultimately they couldn't agree. Uh, Mrs. Uh, Gibbs um, insisted that the boundary line was a uh, was a bob wire fence down in the hollow. Was a bob wire fence down in the hollow, uh, west of the barn. Mrs. Dillahaye testified that Mrs. Gibbs described the boundary as a woven wire fence. Mrs. Gibbs maintains that it is a bob wire fence because of this disputed area is littered with remnants of old fences, the location of the correct line will later became a subject of great contention. Okay, we're having a little bit of technical difficulty here, but we got about a minute before we get to the break. So after this conversation, um, they hired um, they hired their surveyors, their respective surveyors, um, and um, Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Gibbs hired uh, her surveyor and told them the fence. It was a two bob uh, two strand bob wire fence down in the hollow. Um, eventually, the parties discovered that they disagreed about the correct boundary line location. Both parties hired surveyors. Established boundary line. Now, of course, we've discussed this before. Surveyors establish nothing. Boundary lines get established by uh, by the landowners, but still, this term uh, gets used and is being used right here in this case. All right, folks. Looks like we're coming up on a break, uh, and we will be back um, after uh, these messages. 
quick stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. Quickstakes. Does your survey supply dealer have quick stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying quick stakes. Did you know that quick stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? Lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden stake. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick stakes, your back friendly stake. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Okay, folks, welcome back. Uh, we're a little off our schedule here this morning, but that's all right. We're gonna we're gonna go on. Uh, we're gonna move forward uh, with this case and try to get through it this uh, this, uh, this week. Uh, both Gibbs and the Dillahay's deeds are bound. The boundary deeds are bound. Measurements associated with them. Uh, calls for a joiner, so on and so forth. The, the deeds do not give calls and distances exact locations of the boundary between the not, not very high. Consequently, the three surveyors resorted to right, other um, various means for locating the boundary. These surveyors suggested line uh, a line. Maybe if you uh, suggested you already brought this up. Each surveyor suggested a different line established with right. different, five, method, uh, with uh, differing degrees of certainty. So we have three surveyors on on the scene. Two for Dillahay, one for Gibbs, and all three come up with uh, different results, different methodology, uh, and uh, varying degrees of uh, of certainty on these locations. Generally, uh, Mr. Holland was working, and Mr. Puckett were working for Dillahay. Generally, Mr. Holland and Mr. Puckett lines follow the woven wire fence uh, and the monuments found by the Dillahays and are set further to the east than Mr. Carmen's. Carmen is a surveyor So uh, with Gibbs' property being located to the east, Dillahay's being located to the west, it's not surprising that Dillahay's surveyors found a line further to the east or closer to Gibbs' property or reducing Gibbs' property by some certain amount, and Mr. Carman would be to the west, increasing the holding. I'm, the best again. I'm not trying to say anything there uh, negative about the surveyors. It's just this is what we have. Uh, we have, and then the area in the area in dispute is about 30 acres. Uh, that is littered. Uh, that is uh, littered with uh, all types of things, um, primarily woven woven wire fences. Mr. Holland testified that after sure. contacting Mrs. Dillahay, he researched the land records of the courthouse, collected data in the field, spoke with both parties. Mr. Holland inherited difficulties in establishing a boundary line for pure bound steed. He stated that he was able to establish the boundary line for all of Mrs. Dillahay's property, okay. except for the disputed line between Dillahay and Gibbs. 
Mr. Holland stated that he did not feel comfortable establishing the boundary line at that time, thus he did not perform a mathematically closed survey of Mrs. Dillahay's farm. Okay, right. is it still well, picking it up? There's a problem with Mrs. Dillahay. Uh, one of our surveyors uh, actually did not, um, well, did not feel comfortable establishing the boundary line. Again, the surveyors established that. So, um, her surveyor basically refused to call what he did a boundary survey and definitively come up with a boundary line. So, as we know from previous boundary disputes, or all the boundary disputes you read about, you've got to have, um, if nothing else, your surveyor needs to make a decision. It could be right, it could be wrong, but if there's no decision being made at all, that will automatically be wrong because the whole function of the survey, especially when we get into boundary disputes, um, is um, for the judge to make a determination. Usually, it will be one surveyor or the other because the judge doesn't know where the property line is necessarily located on the ground either. This is why surveyors are hired as experts to come in and give an opinion on the on-the-ground location of the boundary line. And one of her surveyors, uh, her first surveyor, um, her being Dillahay's surveyor, um, began down the road. Um, however, uh, Holland did present a line represent uh, on a on a trial did repre uh, present a line representing the calls and distances extrapolated from old deeds in Mrs. Dillahay's chain of title. Holland surmised that while Mrs. Dillahay's boundary deed omitted uh, these earlier deeds um, had reflected the understanding of our people at the time that those deeds were made. Holland provided trial exhibits showing these lines, which generally along woven wire fence and monuments that the Dillahay's found in the disputed area. However, some disputed trial as to whether the monuments of the Dillahay's located were the same as called for in these earlier deeds. Now, remember, these earlier deeds were written from the 1920s, and they're out there finding stumps in the, in the year 2000 and 2010, 2008, 2009, um, and claiming that they're still the same stumps that are 100 years old. So, you know, you got a little bit of, there's a little bit of a problem with, uh, with that. Moreover, Mr. Holland never shot the line on the ground and instead only drew it on a map. He refused to call it a boundary line. He explained that he did not know where the boundary line was, and that he would not force a line. After Mr. Holland would not definitely establish a boundary line, Mrs. Dillahay hired Mr. Puckett to survey the boundary line. However, it does not appear from the record that Puckett established the line either. He testified that he was hired to prepare a survey showing where previous owners and surveyors had placed the boundary line. Mr. Puckett stated that essentially... He had prepared a court exhibit illustrating the various lines as drawn by Mr. Carmen and Mr. Holland. As monuments, Mr. Pickett suggested you, uh, line uses a woven wire fence and an X, marched on, an X marked on a beech tree and an iron pin 
set at a fence corner. His general, his line generally followed Mr. Hollins, except that it was contoured to the shape of the land and extended slightly east of Mr. Hollins' line. Consequently, Mr. Puckett's line was well to the east of Mr. Carmen's and drew the boundary most in Mrs. Dillahay's favor. Although he was aware of Mr. Car- uh, that Mr. Carmen had based his line on an old fence, Mr. Puckett testified that he had not walked Mr. Carmen's line. Mr. Puckett further aden- uh, indicated that because the two properties only had boundary deeds, mathematical closure, the boundary was not possible. That he did not, in fact, know where the boundary line was. So here, Dillahay has hired two surveyors, and neither surveyor rendered an opinion on where the boundary line is located. Okay, folks, we're going to take another break here and uh, be back uh, after after these messages. And want to remind everybody, if they want to uh, call in to America's Web Radio, or not for us, but call in to uh, Parker Davis, 1-800-438-0387. And this is a good time. you got... Uh, the rest of the afternoon to order your markers or your quick stakes and be able to take them off this month. And uh, we're coming up, obviously, on the end of the year, and it's important to go ahead and stock up where you can write off all of your supplies for 2020 before we go into 2021. And uh, we appreciate uh, all of the great shows on America's Web Radio, your support, and uh, certainly the Keep in mind the people that make the shows are the hosts, like Jeff. And uh, we had a, we're in the process of changing over a lot of things, uh, some new programming, uh, new equipment. And I apologize to Jeff that we had a little bit of a problem this morning, but change can cause those problems, as we all know. And uh, we want to uh, thank all of our first responders and our special prayers go out to those uh, responders. It's just amazing that uh, we're killed over the weekend. But anyway, we'll be back right after this with Jeff. Quick Stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have Quick Stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying Quick Stakes. Did you know that Quick Stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? Lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden stake. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick Stakes, your back-friendly stake. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Right, we are back. This is the Surveyor's Hour on America's Web Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Lucas. We are going over the case of uh, the Tennessee Court of Appeals case, Dillahay versus Gibbs. Dillahay owns 120 some odd acres. Gibbs owns 100 and. 
50 some odd acres depending on tax what the current tax records say um gibbs's property is located to the east of dillahays and uh there's a dispute and the uh with the location of the common boundary which would be dillahays east boundary and gibbs west boundary and the dispute um entails about 30 acres and so uh we are getting down to uh, the testimony of the surveyors at this trial uh, over the boundary line dispute. Now, again, uh, um, the the whole purpose of having surveyors come into court and testify about boundaries is to give an opinion uh, on where they believe that the property line is located on the ground. Uh, and in this case, uh, as uh, as I said before we started the case, the the legal descriptions in these boundary deeds or bounds deeds are severely lacking in the kind of details that surveyors need uh, or want, such as uh, bearings and distances, angles and distances, uh, what we would call meets, the meets of a meets and bounds description. Uh, There are none, uh, apparently. There were some older deeds that were uh, brought in by the surveyors, Older deeds in the in the chain of title for Dillahay, and maybe even some for Gibbs uh, that had a few of these uh, uh, few of these additional features uh, added to it. But uh, still, we, we don't have much help here. But um, if if not the survey, if the surveyor can't come in and give an opinion, um, a well reasoned opinion on the location of the property. Uh, line on the ground, uh, especially in a situation like this where the deeds are ambiguous, um, uh, confusing, uh, in dispute, uh, then uh, why do we need the surveyor? What do we need the surveyor for? And um, just just a hint here, especially to the surveyors, boundary line disputes, at least my, uh, my experience with boundary line disputes is Judge, the judges hate them. The trial judges hate boundary disputes because of situations just like this. It's, it's a little bit maddening uh, to some extent and um, mind-boggling uh, to another extent um, that uh, the deeds, the title documents, can't answer uh, the question of location. And surveyors come in and they uh, testify to all kinds of things. Uh, some of it makes sense, some of it makes no sense, but just uh, just a heads up here to you surveyors uh, who may be going in, uh, going to court uh, over a boundary dispute. The judge is looking the judge and the jury uh, is looking for your help. The judge wants you to lead her out of this case or lead him out of this case with some reasonable explanations as to why the boundary line should be located where uh, you, uh, a particular surveyor, says it should be located. So um, Dillahay's two two experts, uh, Holland and Puckett, um, fail completely because neither one of them will render an opinion, good, bad, or ugly, on the location of the property line on the ground. Now, at this point in time, Dillahay's the plaintiff. They put on their case first. Uh, Gibbs is the defendant, so she's going to put on her case uh, second. She'll be the last to put on their case. 
there will be there probably were depositions. Uh, I'm sure there were depositions. We know there were depositions. They're mentioned in this case. Okay, so by the time you get to court, pretty much um, everything uh, is is out in the open. Um, and at, at this point in time, when uh, when Dillahay's experts are refusing to give an opinion on where the property line is located on the ground, would that definitely say won't force, won't quote, force a line? You're, you're if you're if you're Gibbs surveyor, you are in. A beautiful position at this point. All you have to do is come in and give some sort of reasonable explanation as to, first of all, give an opinion. Give an opinion on the location of the property line on the ground. That's the only question the surveyor has, the factual question of location. All you have to do is give an opinion, and if to, for it to be some sort of, you know, in some way, shape, or form, reasonable, and this ca- and you won this case. This is exactly the uh, situation that Karma is in. All he needs to do is come up with something reasonable, and and, and they they win this case. Um, it's called the ultimate issue rule. The ultimate issue is in, in a boundary dispute case is where's the property boundary? You see. The judge needs the surveyor to come in and testify and guide the judge out of this case, give a reasonable answer to the question of location so that the judge can uh, do away with this case, move it off, you know, move it off the docket and, and move on with life. Because the judge, the, the judge is going to have to either, uh, in, a, in a boundary dispute case, the judge is going to have to, if there's two surveyors competing, generally speaking, and we've seen exceptions to this, We've seen exceptions where there's one, only one survey, and you got the people on the other side telling the judge where the boundary line is located. Um, just like in the last, in the case we did last time, um, uh, Weber versus uh, Kroger versus Weber, there was only one surveyor. Uh, uh, the other side didn't have a surveyor. They had a contractor who put the fence in, in the ground, and then so that's what their testimony was about the fence. The contractor put it in the ground by measuring off the houses. Surveyor came in and could not explain, couldn't explain what he had done. So the judge is looking for a little help, looking for something to hang the judge's hat on. Uh, So all you need to do at this point in time is just come in and give a reasonable explanation. So here comes Carmen, the third. Well, first of all, let's finish up with Puckett. He explained that. If you're going to survey a complete farm, you've got to have where it's been surveyed before, where you can check where the pins were, corners were, and those old D's just didn't have enough to do that. Now, the old deeds aren't doing it for you. Now, what's your next best available evidence? This I told you, this is about how do you know when you've got it right there's a litmus test to figure out if you've got it right by preponderance of the evidence. Doesn't have to be by, um, beyond all reasonable doubt. That's a criminal standard. Just by uh, so that you can. There's a litmus test. To see if you made a 51 on on the test. You don't have to. You don't have to even make a 
a 60 and, and to pass with a D or a 70 to pass with a C. All you need is a 51. 51%. The preponderance of the evidence leads to the truth of the matter. All you need to do, Mr. Surveyor, Ms. Surveyor, is make a 51 on the test. There is a litmus test. Now, what? so the deeds aren't doing it, what's the next best available evidence? Well, let's see what Har Carmen did. The third surveyor to testify was Mr. Carmen. He's been licensed since 1977. Carmen was hired by Gibbs. And his survey showed the furthest western extension of her boundary line. So he's further to the west, naturally. I'm not saying any. I'm not saying that's. Um, I'm not uh, saying anything um, other than his was more most favorable to Gibbs, and the other two exhibit court exhibits can't call them surveys because they denied the veracity of them as surveys were further to the east, uh, most in favor of the Dillahays. That's just how these things happen. Um, he testified that his survey, listen to the difference in the testimony, that his surveyor, his survey accurately reflected the boundary line between Ms. Gibbs and Dillahays to a reasonable degree of surveying certainty. Karma discussed his methodology in great detail. What did we get from the other side? Nothing. Matter of fact, we got, uh, we got disclaimers. Uh, these are just court exhibits. These are, uh, you know, disclaimers as to the veracity. Um, and in contrast, in sharp contrast, Carmen discussed his methodology in great detail. After researching the deeds and interviewing adjoining landowners, so he's looked at the deeds and what does he do next? He interviews the adjoining landowners. That's your next best available evidence. Okay, folks, we'll pick up with next best available evidence when we get back after these messages. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number. 800-438-0387 or go to quickstake.com that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for Quickstakes today. My name is Kyle Hayes, a motorsports student at Alfred State College. Every year, Alfred State students compete in the Great Race, which is a cross-country time endurance rally for vintage vehicles. As you can imagine, it's pretty costly. I'm asking for your help. Your donation can make it possible for these students to live their passion and promote the vintage automobile industry. Please visit our site at give.alfredstate.edu and search Great Race to learn more and help us reach our goal. Thank you. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schurz, as we talk about the topics that doctors talk about amongst themselves, such as Medicare, Obamacare, alternative forms of care, and health information technology. Join us every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Quick Stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have Quick Stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying Quick Stakes. Did you know that Quick Stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? Lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden stake. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick Stakes, your back-friendly stake. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. 
Okay, welcome back. This is Jeff Lucas, um, your host on the Surveyor's Hour on America's Web Radio. All right, folks, we're going to wrap this case up. We're getting to the gist of the case here. So we've got uh, Dillahan Gibbs, boundary dispute, 30 acres in dispute, uh, rough terrain, two surveyors for Dillahay, um, punt, punt the ball. They, they don't, uh, they, they, they deny the, that they had done a survey. They, they give no opinion on the location of the boundary line on the ground. All Carmen has to do is come in here and, uh, as the surveyor for Gibbs come in here and give just some reasonable explanation. Uh, and I didn't finish saying why. That certainly, generally speaking, uh, when there's two surveys, uh, competing surveys, the judge has to pick one or the other. Even without a competing survey, uh, the judge has to pick one line or the other. Um, because the judge uh, cannot, a judge can't do the split the baby routine, can't do the Solomon Act where he splits the baby between the two competing lines. And the reason the judge can't do that is because then the judge is uh, making a judgment, a determination on evidence that wasn't introduced at trial. Can't do that. Generally speaking, you can't do that. Um, so it's going to be, when you go into a boundary suite, it's going to be one line or the other. The plaintiff has a line in mind, and uh, Dilla Hayes' line was um, some, based on exhibits prepared by her two surveyors, but neither one of them, neither one of them said it was the line. They both denied the veracity of the exhibits. They wouldn't, they wouldn't say definitely where the line was. And so now you have Carmen. He's going to come in here. What did he do? He explained his methodology in great detail. After researching the deeds and interviewing the adjoining owners, so the deeds aren't helpful. That's what Puckett told us. Deeds aren't helpful. Now we've got to see what the adjoiners had to say. And other knowledgeable persons, he attempted to plot the boundary line from the ground. He he went to the ground. This is retracement surveying. He didn't do it on a map. He went to the ground. He described the disputed areas being challenging terrain. He went to work. After finding the woven wire fence on which Mr. Holland and Puckett shot a line, Mr. Commons spoke with Ms. Gibbs' brothers and sisters, who told him that the boundary line was... Beyond those woven wire fences, quote, down yonder, down yonder in the holler. That is where the line is. It's a two-strand barbed wire fence. They all said it's a two-strand barbed wire fence. While conceding that this information was not particularly helpful, Mr. Carmen went searching for the boundary line so described. While searching, he found many fence remnants, which he surmised had been used for containment of farm animals due to their somewhat arbitrary locations. However, he testified that eventually, after using a metal detector, he stumbled upon the remnants of a barbed wire fence. Most of this fence down there in this disputed area is woven wire fence. And the uh, uh, Gibbs and her siblings, Cersei, her brother Cersei, and uh, and her sister all testified it had been a it had been a barbed wire fence down there. So uh, eventually, using his metal detector, he stumbled across a barbed wire fence. According to Mr. Carmen, the terrain on which the barbed wire fence was located was quote very hilly, very tough and rough, heavily wooded, and a steep incline. Mr. Carmen said that in his expert opinion. 
a containment fence would not be placed in such a difficult terrain. And that location of the fence indicated that a lot of effort had been put into placing that fence to mark uh, the line between two farms. So, uh, so his reasonable conclusion is that all of this woven wire fence down there in this 30 acres of disputed ground, that was all in very nice, convenient places. That woven wire fence was for uh, containment of animals. But when he found the barbed wire fence and then started tracing that, he traced it for the entire line. And I don't know. I'm going to say that's probably a 1,300. I'm looking at it on a piece of paper. 1,300, 1,400 feet, quarter of a mile, maybe, maybe a little more, maybe a little less. He finds this barbed wire fence going up and down the hills, in the ravines, out of the ravines, on the on the side of the cliff. He's finding this barbed wire fence in the most uh, in the most um, inconvenient places possible. Who's going to contain animals on the side of a cliff? Mr. Karma said that, in his expert opinion, they wouldn't have placed, um, uh, they would not have placed containment fences in these in this difficult terrain. Here's here's a quote: It took a tremendous amount of labor. I have fenced before in situations like this, and it took a tremendous amount of labor to bring wire and put posts in and nail to the trees and do all that was done along the boundary line years ago. And since we have no evidence in Ms. Gibbs' deed or the new Dillahay deed, I deemed that the decision to run this uh, fence was the only option I had as a land surveyor at that time best available evidence. On cross-examination, Mr. Kerman admitted that the deeds from which the established line were uh, were boundary deeds without reference to monuments or cost distances. He stated that he did not know who installed the fence upon which he shot the line or their purpose in installing the fence. While he attested that to the barbed wire fence of being a boundary line within a reasonable degree of surveying certainty, Kerman admitted that he could not confirm to an absolute certainty. Who can't? There are no absolute, especially in boundary line surveying, there are no absolutes. But here's the, here is uh, the key to this. You don't have to be absolutely correct. You just got to be more correct than the other side. It's called a preponderance of the evidence. Carmen further admitted he did not use the Bose deeds in contemplating and completing a survey. When presented with the Bose deeds at the earlier deposit at an earlier deposition, they had deposition. Mr. Carmen said that he could have it could have had an impact on the survey. However, by the time he saw the Bose deed, Mr. Carmen testified that he had already completed the survey and been paid. He did not resurvey the line after learning of their existence. Explaining, quote. Not until two years after my rendering of the survey and the conclusion of my work had been done, and at the end of the deposition, the buzz deed was handed to me. This is what they're going to do to you as an expert, okay? They're holding back. They came up with this buzz deed, which um, predated um, predated the Dillahay deed and the Gibbs deed. Ostensibly, it's in Dillahay's chain of title, and it had calls to a few monuments, an X and a birch tree, a stump, uh, so on and so forth. So here they are. They're holding on to this thing. 
he finished his survey two years earlier. They're in depositions now. And at the very end of a deposition, the lawyer, one of the lawyers for uh, Dillahay came up, what about this deed? What do you think about this? So uh, Carmen uh, responded. If it had been handed to me before, uh, before, and we had looked at this, there would have been a potential, a possibility that it would have changed some things, at least in discussions. However, the larger view here is that uh, there is a fence that shows continuity from south all the way to the north along the Dillahay line. Good for Carmen. He wasn't rattled by that. Uh, gotcha question at the end of his deposition two years after he completed his survey. They finally, somebody finally dug up, uh, this, uh, quote unquote Bose deed, which really had nothing. Holland, Holland and, uh, and Puckett had considered the, uh, the, the Bose deed as well, and they couldn't, and they refused. They refused to give an opinion or the boundary line between Gibbs and Dillahay was located. And now Carmen has come in and he found the two, the, the two, he found the barbed wire fence. He found the barbed wire in the ground. He followed the bob, barbed wire for a quarter of a mile or more. All the way, did you hear him? All the way from south, all the way north along the Dillahay line. What in the world is that fence doing there if it's not marking a boundary line? All right, we only have a couple minutes left here. wanted to read you a little bit from the uh, appellate court opinion. The ca- this case essentially boils down to which of two flawed surveys. They're giving, they're giving Holland or Puckett somebody a little bit of credit for doing a survey. They didn't do a survey. That, Carmen's the only one who came up with a survey. Of which of two flawed surveys the trial court most credited? Mr. Holland's cobbled together from ancient deeds with little apparent connection to the land and a disclaimer as to its veracity. Or Mr. Carmen shot from the ground on an old fence with slight support from underlying deeds. It appears from the record that Mr. Carmen was the only surveyor to establish a boundary line with a reasonable degree of surveying certainty. Well, there's more to this case, but that's probably uh, about all we're going to really be able to go uh, other than the trial court, from our review of re- the record, the trial uh, the trial court uh, got one minute to go. Uh, here's the appellate court opinion. From our review of the record, the trial court was intensely engaged in trying this matter. It thoroughly questioned the surveyor's methods and conclusions. It ultimately concluded that Mr. Carmen's survey was the most reliable and established the boundary line accordingly. We will give great deference to a trial court's decision between competing surveys. And the final analysis here, folks, it came down to, um, well, first of all, how do you know you got it right? How do you know you got it right? What's the litmus test on figuring out if you got it right? and best available evidence. That's what won the day here in this case. All right, we had, had a good time. Uh, we'll be back. Well, um, we, well, well, we'll be back next week. Uh, folks, y'all have a, have a great week. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.